Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Last week, Pastor Brad reminded us that there's always an invitation to come home. And and maybe for you, home isn't a place you want to be. But for a lot of us, home represents a place of safety and of peace. And throughout the Bible, God gives this invitation for all of us as those he created to come home. And when we come home to God, there's peace and there's rest and there's purpose and there's joy. God invites us when life is hard to come home to him. Interesting, though, There's times that God wants to not just bring us home, but when we come home to him and find our peace and rest in him, that he relocates us and send us out from our home, that he's going to work in us in ways through relocation that he couldn't work if we stayed at home. So all of us, depending on your situation, you grew up in a home, and some of us just need to leave home because we got to spread our wings, right? There comes a point in time you can't live in your mom's basement forever, right? Like you got to spread your wings and go, start. If you've had a great experience, that's true. But if you've had a difficult experience, sometimes it's a good thing to start over and just cut ties and leave and move and go. There's something about that restart, that relocation that changes us and grows us. So we come to God and we find our peace and rest. And then God takes us out of a place of peace and rest and sends us to do things in this world by relocating us at times to places maybe we wouldn't even choose. And sometimes that means changing states. So for me, like uh, 16 or 17 years ago, we left New Jersey to move to Pennsylvania so that I could serve here. For me, relocating change is a lot of fun. It's exciting. But my wife is the exact opposite. She hates change. We left the land of milk and honey, the garden state, to come to Pennsylvania. I mean, this place is whack. Right? It's bigger change than you might realize. You don't want to leave Pennsylvania and go to the armpit, do you? Well, the people in the armpit don't want to come here either. It's a big change. But in the process of relocating, God did things in us and is continuing to do things through us that we wouldn't have been able to do if we stayed in New Jersey. Sometimes that means that God's going to grow you by relocating you and changing your relationships. Sometimes that means relocating you out of a work environment. Sometimes it's relocating you out of an apartment, out of a condo, out of a house. Sometimes it's relocating you from one church to another. Sometimes it's relocating you from one state to another, from one country to another, that God uses the change of location in our lives to grow us into the people he wants us to be. It's just one of his tools. So if you have your Bibles, jump to Genesis 37 with me. Genesis 37, electronic. Turn it on, paper, flip it open, follow along online with us. We love using the Bible. And we're in this series where we're walking through the Bible. We're we're starting in January and we're going all the way through next December, kind of looking at the big picture of the Bible and the highlights so that we can grow and learn as we read the Bible to understand the heart of God. And in these early chapters of the Bible, a lot of things are starting. It's the start. It's the start. It's the start. It's the start of a lot of things. Maybe you've wondered in your family where the dysfunction started. Have you had that experience where you look at your family and you go, our family's a train wreck. Where did this all start? Well, most of us have asked that question. And honestly, you know where it starts? Right here in Genesis. 
right? In the place that we're looking right now where sin and family interact, right at the beginning of the Bible, there's dysfunction. So the first people in the Bible, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and his wives, there's dysfunction. Your dysfunction started thousands upon thousands of years ago in other families. And, oh, FYI, by the way, you're going to be dysfunctional and promote dysfunctional things in the relationships moving forward until we see Jesus face to face. We've made a wreck of things, right? And it all starts here in Genesis. But what's fascinating is sometimes God uses the dysfunction of our families to relocate us. The dysfunction and the trauma and the pain of life sometimes puts us in new places where we're going to grow and we're going to learn and become better versions of ourselves. That's what we're going to lean into today. Would you pray with me? God, we all bring our dysfunction to church with us. We can put on nice little Christian masks, but we're a wreck. We cause drama. Drama has been done to us. We cause mistakes and mistakes have been done to us. We cause injustice, and injustices have been done to us. We're a dysfunctional lot. And yet somehow, God, you promise to use all things, including the difficulty, the evil, and the injustice of life for good for those who trust you and follow you. You have a way of being sovereign over all things and using all things, and yet not celebrating injustice or causing it. Help us to lean in today to the story of Joseph and learn how our traumatic experiences, the difficulties of our lives that would cause relocation could be used to make us more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're looking today at Abraham's grandson, Jacob. This is a story of how God uses the dysfunction in Jacob's family to relocate one of Jacob's son, Joseph, who's going to bless the world. And Joseph's story starts here in Genesis 37. It goes all the way through Genesis 50. So we're going to kind of do a fast like run through to try to understand this guy's life So follow along and get ready, because we're going to go fast for a little bit, and then we're going to look at how this applies to you and me. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about his brothers. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers because he had been born to him in his old age. And so he made him an ornate robe for Joseph. So Jacob, stop here. Jacob has 12 sons. And this is the story, the account of his 17-year-old son, Joseph. It's his 11th son, and it's his favorite son. Now, if you have 12 brothers and one is known to be a favorite, can you predict the dysfunction that's about to happen when everyone knows there's a favorite, right? And the reason, this is really important, the reason that Jacob is his favorite son is because Jacob comes from, or Joseph comes from Jacob's favorite wife. He's got four at the same time. 
and he has a favorite. Can you think that that might cause some drama to have four wives and to list one as your favorite, right? And so here's the the deal. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, there's a blind spot in the people of God in the Bible where they would have multiple wives and that's sinful and dysfunctional. In our current day, there's also a blind spot that we have where lots of people think they can establish their lives and live together without marriage. And these things cause dysfunction in our lives. They cause difficulty. Jacob has a favorite wife, and from his favorite wife, Jacob has a favorite son. This is a problem. And Jacob decides to give his favorite son an ornate robe. Try to picture this in your mind. Your sons are all shepherds. They go out in fields. This one favorite son gets a special robe from daddy and wears that special robe out in the field. Can you see the problem this is going to cause with Mr. Fancy Pants? (laughs) Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they would not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves together of grain in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So not only does dad love him more, give him a little special robe, now Joseph's dreaming and yapping his mouth about it. There's more, verse nine. Then he has another dream. And he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you, the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I mean, this is the setup for some pretty serious dysfunction, right? His father favors him. He gives him a special little robe. His brothers hate him. He has these dreams. And because of this favoritism and this dreaming, his brothers decide to get rid of Mr. Fancy Pants. And as you read the story, they think, well, maybe we'll kill Mr. Fancy Pants. So they decide, no, let's not do that. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell their brother into slavery to get rid of him. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 39. So flip forward, Genesis 39, verse 1, where we're going to read about what happens to Joseph when he gets sold into slavery. I mean, just let that settle in your mind. You're sold into slavery. Genesis 39, verse one. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So he's sold into this Egyptian family. So his brothers know that he's a slave. His parents think he's dead. But Joseph goes from privileged status, Mr. Fancy Pants, to being enslaved. Think of the trauma that that must cause for him. Look at what happens, verse 2. The Lord, though, was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. 
When his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord gave Joseph success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put, his char- put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From, the time, from this time he put in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. So Joseph is all alone, relocated without a choice about it at all. He's alone with no family, no friends. But do you hear the refrain over and over again? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. He's alone, but he's not outside of God's presence. God is with him. And it says five times God's with him. The Lord's blessing him. He's traumatized by this relocation, but the Lord is with him every step. Now, it's worth stopping and asking, was the Lord with Joseph before he got sold into slavery? Of course, right? But did Joseph recognize God's presence in his life before he was sold into slavery? Maybe he did, but he was a 17-year-old dude who was favored by his father with a good brain and a big mouth. How many of those think recognize God in their life? Right? So, so we don't know if he recognized God's presence, but it seems like maybe not. And was this family dysfunction of selling him into slavery God's will? Was this okay? Was this injustice right? The answer is no. But what you see in the Bible and you see in our lives that God takes the messes of our dysfunction, the evil and the injustice of this world, the things that we do to each other and the things that are done to us by other people, and he works together good despite our dysfunction and problems. So keep going to Genesis 39, verse 20, and watch how things are gonna go from bad to worse. So he gets sold into this guy Potiphar's house. Everything he touches goes well for him because he's smart, he's capable, and God is with him. Everything's going great for him as the head of this household until Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of sexual misconduct. And when that happens, you get sent to jail, and he innocently gets tossed in jail. So Genesis 30, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, guess what? The Lord was with him. The Lord showed Joseph kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He was alone in prison without hope, but the Lord was with Joseph this entire time. And this season of his life of enslavement and prison was 13 years long. And we can't pretty this up When you experience that kind of injustice, that kind of evil, that kind of dysfunction, Joseph's a real guy. So he's sitting in a jail cell, and I pretty much guarantee you he's thinking, I just want to die. Where is God? Who are you, God? How could you do this to me? I've tried everything to be right and good in the household, and I get falsely accused. He had to have all the doubts, insecurities, all the fears the depression, the anxiety that all of us would face. We can't make this pretty. 13 years of trauma, of evil. Things begin to turn in prison. God gives him an opportunity to use his brain to help people. Genesis 41. 
We're going fast. Stick with me. Genesis 41, verse 14. Remember, the Lord is with Joseph this whole time, and with God's help, Joseph has the ability to start interpreting dreams. So he's in prison, and some, some guys in prison have dreams, and word gets out of prison that Joseph has the ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has this recurring dream that no one can help him with. Genesis 41, verse 14. So Pharaoh sent, to, sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And there's this warning in Pharaoh's dreams that God is giving through the dream of Pharaoh that a famine is going to take place. Joseph's able to interpret it, able to give Pharaoh wisdom about how to handle this impending famine. And you got to look in Genesis 41, verse 38, you got to look at what Pharaoh says. He says, can we find anyone like this man, Joseph? one in whom is the Spirit of God. So this king is looking at this guy who just came out of a dungeon, shaved and cleaned up and put on some deodorant. He's looking at him and he's seeing that he has wisdom and something special, something unique. God is with him. God uses the dysfunction of this family to relocate Joseph into slavery, then into prison. And because of his trauma, Joseph is transformed. Instead of being a cocky 17-year-old Mr. Fancy Pants, this trauma, this difficulty, this heartache changes his confidence from favored child and better than everyone else to dependent child of God. So much so that a pagan king sees something unique about him and says, hey, I'm going to put you in charge of everything I've got. And just go back in your mind Jacob's dysfunctional family. Remember, the sons sell their brother into slavery. Well, there's this famine that breaks out that impacts even them. And his brothers have to come to Egypt for food. And you read the rest of the story in Genesis. Fascinating. His brothers show up in front of him, and there's his brother that was sold, overseeing all this relief effort for the world. Joseph has been transformed. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. I have a brother. If my brother sold me into slavery and then I was all powerful, I think I'd do a lot of different things to him. I mean, I'd be creative, right? So would you. You'd get creative. Your brother sold you and you've been imprisoned and enslaved for 13 years. Now you're in power and he comes before you. Here comes Joseph's brothers and they're scared to death. And go to the end of Genesis 50. Genesis 50, verse 19. They're scared. The brother's all powerful. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? It's like Mr. Fancy Pants, all cocky, thinking he's the greatest, dreaming. He's saying, am I in the place of God? He's going, you know, you know my job isn't to avenge what you've done wrong. That's God's job. Here's what my job is. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So there's something about this whole thing that transforms Joseph from cocky to humble and dependent, where he doesn't see himself as privileged and over other people, but instead sees himself as being useful for God to save and help other people, including the people that have been unjust to him. 
And I love the story of Joseph, partly because it foreshadows Jesus. So if you take Jesus's story and Joseph's story, they match. I mean, Jesus is the favored son of God who leaves everything and becomes poor and sacrifices his life so that others could become rich. Jesus, though we deserve punishment as children of God, instead of exacting revenge and punishment on us, he gives us grace and he gives us mercy. Look at the life of Joseph and you'll see the life of Jesus foreshadowed for us. Maybe like Joseph, for good or bad reasons, you've been relocated. Maybe for good reasons or bad reasons, you've been restarted. And when you go through a relocation or a restart, what do you do? How do you handle yourself? The story of Joseph shows me that there's something about time with God in the midst of difficulty and heartache and pain, that God has the ability to change us and grow us and transform us from our dependence on ourself to a dependence on him. It was God who comforted him when nobody else was around and he, couldn't, he didn't have a family to give him comfort and care. God showed up and comforted him. When an opportunity to interpret dreams came forward, it wasn't because he was so smart. God gave him the ability to interpret those dreams. God gave him the wisdom to say, we gotta set up a system to prepare for the famine that's coming. God gave him the ability to forgive and show grace and mercy to people that had been so unjust to him. It was God that transformed him and made a difference and he became confident in God. And I look at this story this historic story, this historic person, Joseph, who had a train wreck of a life but was transformed into saving a part of the world because of his wisdom and his godliness. And I look at it and I go, what can I learn? How does my life and Joseph's life intersect? What, what can I see here about the character of God? And often it's God uses relocation to restart us. I mean, do you need a do-over? It's like, don't we all need a do-over at some point in our lives? Don't we need moments to just, I need a restart? It could be because of things done to you. It could be just time to spread your wings and move in a new direction. Maybe it was because of evil, but maybe it's just for opportunity. Do you need a start, a restart? Maybe things in your life right now are not the best and the things of your life are causing not the best version of you to show up but the worst version of you to show up and continually the worst version of you is showing up and showing up and showing up and maybe it's time for a do-over, a restart, something new. You see, God can use even traumatic events in our lives to grow us and to change us. And so sometimes we need a do-over in relationships. Right? There's some people that are listening to me right now that you're in toxic and abusive relationships that you need to be safe from. It's like it's a cycle that you're in that you think it's going to change, but abuse doesn't change without a restart, a do-over. Like maybe you're in a difficult work environment or a dysfunctional church environment and you just need a do-over, a restart. There's something in God giving us restarts, new moments, do-overs that allow us a fresh start to change. Maybe the way you were in the past and the work that God's been doing in you now, you're different, but the people around you won't give you the opportunity to be different. And it's just time 
for a restart. Don't underestimate that God uses restarts in our lives and relocations from one place to another to give us a fresh new opportunity. And God is, this is so basic, but God is always with us in these restarts and these do-overs. Like he's present. He is with us always. And it's easy for us to think like, where are you, God? I'm in this situation that feels traumatic. It's toxic. It's dangerous. It's harsh. It's hard. Where are you? He is there with us and certainly doesn't will you to go through trauma and evil and dysfunction, but he certainly allows us to make our decisions that cause all kinds of dysfunction in our lives. He walks with us and sustains us, but here's the deal. It's not the relocation or the restart that's going to change you because you bring yourself everywhere you go. So if I go from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, guess who comes with me? Me. What's different? It's not the relocation that changes me, it's God. It's me recognizing, seeing, walking with hand in hand God. And if I don't see him and I don't hold his hand, it's not a restart or a relocation. It's the same me in a different place. What concerns me about some of us, and it's happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to you, is sometimes all we want is a redo, a do-over all the time. We actually spend our lives doing do-overs. We burn through relationships sometimes. Some of us burn through places we live, churches we attend. We're jumping from here to there, to this job, to this relationship, to this fresh start, to this new opportunity, thinking all of these things are going to change us, but we're the same person. We're just bouncing here and there, and nothing's changing. We're like teenagers that never grow up. And then you get to 50, 60, 70, and you look at your life and you go, because instead of seeing that God is with you in each one of these places and you have to reach out your hand and hold his hand and stop trusting in your money, your resources, your friends, your ability and thinking the relocation is what's gonna change you. God, I need you, I'm gonna hold your hand. I'm gonna follow your lead. I'm gonna walk where you guide me. I'm gonna step where you tell me to step. I'm gonna obey your thoughts, not my thoughts. And that's the restart that's gonna happen. That's the relocation that's gonna happen. Not just doing the same thing over and over and changing jobs, changing relationships, changing states, changing churches. It doesn't work. God, I'll hold your hand, I'll trust you. As you start me over again, I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll trust you that you're going to grow me and make me into a new, better version of myself. Here's the last thing. God's purpose in restarts is for us to serve others. God's purpose is for us to serve others. Can I let you in on a really important secret that you're not going to learn on CNN, on Instagram, TikTok, or Fox News? Are you ready? You're not going to learn this anywhere else. This world is not about you. Nobody wants to talk about it at school, at work, on the news. Nobody wants to tell you that you're not the center of the universe. Joe Hensler doesn't matter. I'm not that important. You're not that important. So when you go through these restarts, when life happens, you're valuable to God, yes. But your new job is not about you. Your new relationship is not about you. Your raise is not about you. All of this is not about you. Your new job is so you interact with new people and have an influence to change them. Bring them light and love. 
Your new relationship isn't about you. It's for you to serve that other person. Your raise isn't so you can build up your 401k. It's so you can be generous. Your restart, your reignite, the new moment, new beginning is for you to learn something to bless other people. You see this pattern throughout the Bible. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing to other people. Joseph, I'm going to bless you and change you, and you're going to be a blessing to other people. He looks at his sons and daughters like you and me and says, I'm going to bless the world through you. But you know what we act like? We act like favored sons and daughters of God. And we are. We're forgiven and we're chosen and we're set free and we're given the spirit of God to live inside us. And he wraps us with the righteousness of Christ. And he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, but you're not to use that for yourself. You're to use it for other people. And we wonder why there's people in America that hate Christians. Because we're so self-focused. And everything is about us and what we want politically and what we want monetarily and what we want policy. Everything is about what we want. And we look like privileged fancy pants. And then we wonder why people want to, instead of being loving and gracious and patient and a conduit of God's love to other people, that they might see that God is alive in you and me and be changed by it, that we bring justice and innovation and beauty and life and joy and peace into this world. We're not the problem, we're helping solve the problem. We're not the drama, we're helping kill the drama and bring new life. This is what he wraps his cloak of Jesus around us for. But we're making everything about us. Oh, that God would make us about him and about love and justice and peace. So maybe you're caught in a situation that's toxic. Maybe it's time to stop saying, it's okay that I'm being abused and it's time to get safe, call the police and start over. Maybe it's time to get out of that toxic work environment or that drama that keeps sucking you in and bringing the worst out of you instead of the best. Find a new job. Life's too short, right? It's time to say, I, I want to be new. I want to be different. I want to be changed. God, walk with me. And maybe it's time to stop making so much about you and say, God, would you kill in me my self-centered desires to make life about me, remake me new, that I might be a blessing to the world around me? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for difficulty. In the modern American church, we don't have a theology of suffering and heartache and difficulty. But in this world, we're going to have trouble. There's going to be difficulty. And you use the difficulty and the trauma and the heartache and the suffering and the pain and the inconvenience to transform us and to change us and to make us into your image, and to use us to bless the world to my sister or my brother who is being mistreated or abused that's listening right now online or here on campus. I pray they would have courage to get safe and not tolerate evil and injustice any longer. To those of us who are caught in family dysfunction, would you help us to not be the source of drama, but a source of peace and joy and wisdom. To all of us who are working in academics and medical and science and carpentry and mechanics, may we be used by you to bring beauty and order and goodness into this world. May people see us wrapped in your favor 
and recognize that only a living God could change me, could change you into someone who's a blessing to other people. We want to be used by you to bless others. So work in us and kill in us our self-centered desires. You are faithful. 